0: I wanted you to just get a a heart and a taste of what our vision that is based in a burden looks like, what this expanse. um, God calls us to fulfill the Great Commission as a church, and you get to be a part of that. And so when we have activities and we have events and we have outreaches, it is never just so we can be busy. Um, How many of y'all are finding your life pretty busy right now? Can I see one or two hands? Okay, most of you. The rest of you, if you're not busy, we got stuff you can do. We can make you busy. But it's never just about being busy. It's never about just, well, we need to have this event because somebody else has this event. It is purposeful in its intention. And every one of our ministries, you'll hear from our our other pastors next Sunday as they share about what they will be doing, what has taken place. And I want you to see that. I want you to understand that because this moves us into what we're going to see next in the story of Nehemiah. And that is what begins with a burden and is transformed or focused into a vision, there must be preparation on our part. I want to very quickly show you some things from chapter 2 that speak to us about this as we think about a burden and a vision and now preparation. A burden says something needs to be done, something should be done. A vision says this is what could be done or this is what will be done because God wants it done, but then a pr- our preparation says, let's get ready to do it. What is necessary for us to be able to accomplish what God has for us? I could say a lot about this, but um, there are basically four kinds of people in this world. There are the victims who are always focused on the past. This is what ha- This is why I can't do anything for God now. This is why I can't serve God now. This is, they're always looking at, somebody did something to me. Somebody said something to me. Somebody hurt me. And they never move out of the past. There are the satisfied, and they're always focused on the present. They're happy with the way things are. They're content. They've reached that level of apathy, and they're just satisfied. they don't want to move forward. If Nehemiah was at this was this kind of a person, there would only be one chapter in the book of Nehemiah, because he would hear about it, and he would be satisfied, "Hey, I've, I've got a good job. I'm thousands of miles away. What could I possibly do about that need?" Um, what, what's in it for me? There's all sorts of reasons, but the, the satisfied are focused on the present. And then there's the dreamer. They're focused on the plan. It's always about, well, you know, they're planning, they're working. I've talked to people that have been preparing and planning. They have what we call paralysis, analysis paralysis. Their motto is ready, aim, 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 aim. They never fire. They never pull the trigger. They never actually do anything. They're focused. They've got a great plan. They've got all these great ideas. But what we're talking about are those who are spiritually successful, who are focused on God's purpose in their life. Again, this is true for us as a church. What is God's purpose? Our purpose is to glorify God by fulfilling, by worshiping Him, and by fulfilling the Great Commission. That's our task. That's our mission. That's our purpose. What is our purpose as Christian families? It is to raise our children up, it is to train them, to pass the faith to them, one generation telling the next generation about the great works of God, teaching them, training them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And that's our task. What is our individual task? To be wholehearted disciples of Christ to not just be a person who claims to be a Christian, to not just be someone who puts on an outward shell, but to be genuine, wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ, to observe all things that he has commanded us. And that's, our, that's what we are to be. So how do we do that? How do we prepare? Well, Nehemiah has done some things to prepare for himself. Nehemiah has gained some information. He's asked questions. He's learned about the situation. Nehemiah has spent time in prayer. He's evaluated the situation. He's prepared enough to know how to, that he needs to answer when the king speaks to him. That's our part. And God's purpose, whenever he gives us a purpose, God is always has a purpose for us. But when he has a purpose, he is always preparing his people to accomplish that purpose. Whatever is happening in your life right now is God preparing for what he's got down the road. When you are following Christ, what is happening today is preparation for tomorrow. We don't always understand what's going on, but God is getting you ready now for something that's going to happen later. He's preparing you. When you're following him, this is prologue for the future. This is what's going to take place and he's preparing, he's at work. What is he doing in our lives right now? What is he doing in your life? What are you looking at in your life and you see it as something that's negative and something that's terrible and something that's bad? And it may be God getting you ready to accomplish what he has for you in the future. He's preparing us. Our preparation is useless unless we also experience what he is doing in our lives. We can prepare all we want to, We can put our preparation in. We can can have our plans, and plans are great. Preparation is necessary. Preparation is great. But apart from these things that come from God, all our labor is in vain. All our purpose is in vain. God has things prepared for Nehemiah. I want you to see four things quickly this morning. Number one, when I'm submitting to God's preparation, when God's preparing me for the task, First of all, we must seek God's plan. Look in verse 12 of chapter 2. I arose in the night. Nehemiah has come to Jerusalem. I arose in the night and I some few men with me. Neither, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. I went out by night. And he rides around the city of Jerusalem. Do you catch that phrase in that verse This was not Nehemiah's great strategy. This was not Nehemiah's plan. This was what God had put in Nehemiah's heart. He said, God had put in my heart to do it, Jerusalem. This is God's plan. This is God's task. That's what we seek after. When we have a vision for our burden, this is the burden. This is what needs to be done. This is the vision. This is what I see being done. There needs to be the preparation. You see, the burden is... Feeling the heart of God. God cares about people. God cares about these needs. God cares about the message of the gospel going into all the world. God cares about Himself receiving glory. And He's we receive that burden in our hearts. A vision is finding God's mind about the situation. What does God think? What is God's thoughts on this? But then preparation is. Experiencing the Spirit of God preparing us for the situation, the task. We've got to have His work in us, and He gives us the plan. We must seek God's plan for our task, for whatever it is that God has burdened us about. Whatever He has set in our heart to accomplish, we need His plan for it. Very often we have our ideas. Have any of you ever experienced God doing something different than you've had it all planned out? Have you ever prayed for something and God answered the prayer in a completely different way? God didn't get it wrong. God had the that was his plan. And a God given vision. With a God given vision, only a God given plan will work. I'm afraid that many of us we see what we want to see done and we go about it our way. Do you remember the time that David needed to move the Ark of the Covenant? They needed to move the Ark of the Covenant. And the, the law said, God said, I want, four of the Levi- I want the Levites to carry this. And what did they do? They said, well, the most effective way is to put it on a cart. And so they put it on a cart. The Bible tells what the consequences of that was. Do you remember when the priest, when Aaron's sons came before God, and they said, we're going to offer, fire, they offered a strange fire before God. They were trying to do God's work their way. And any time we do, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. But God's work done man's way will always lack God's supply. The plan, seek God's plan. We need the wisdom. God may give us a burden for that lost neighbor that lives across the street. And we have a vision of seeing them come to trust in Christ. And God begins to work in our heart to prepare us, how will that happen? How will God use me to help that person come to faith in Christ? And we don't know how to do it, and God will put us, God will give us the plan. God will give us the steps. He will impress upon us. He will show us the way. Whatever we need, He will supply. James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom let him ask of God. Many people say, I can't do what God wants me to do. I don't, I'm not, I don't know how to go about it. Ask of God. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. How many of you lack wisdom this morning in some area of your life? You could use some wisdom from God. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, generously, and he upbraideth not. God doesn't shame us for coming to him and asking for wisdom. He doesn't say, well, you big dummy, you should have known what to do. He gives wisdom generously. You need a lot of wisdom? God's got plenty of it. God will give you the wisdom. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21, your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. We always want that flashlight guidance. We want to see all the way down the way. We want to see how it's going to turn out, and God often gives us candle guidance, one step at a time. You take one step and you see the next step. But God, I want to see the whole path. I want to see all the way to the end. God says, I'll show you just enough. You obey this step and I'll show you the next step. You take the next step. We come to Red Sea moments in our lives. Well, we want Red Sea moments and God gives us Jordan moments at the Red Sea. You remember what happened? The people came to the side of the Red Sea. They're cornered between Pharaoh and his army and the sea on the other side. And God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to lift up your rod over your head. And when you do, the water's going to part, and when the waters part, you'll see a path, a road in between, and then you step in and you go. And we come to situations in our life, and isn't that exactly what we want? We want God to show us everything. Here's how it is. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but just make the way plain. And we take that, we, we step, we take a step after God's already part of the waters. Years later, they come to the River Jordan. And they come to the water, and the water's flowing. And God doesn't part the water. He says to them, he said, I want the ark to go first. And when you come to that water, you take that step. And when the sole of the foot of the priest hit the water, then the water's parted. And in my life, I keep praying for Red Sea moments, and God keeps bringing me to Jordan moments. Why? Because he has the path for us to follow but he doesn't always give it in whole. He gives it in part, and he often gives it in a way that is in stages following our obedience. We take a step of obedience, and God shows us the next step. Now, that's not the way I want it, God. I'll obey, but on my terms. God gives us a plan. We must have God's direction. We must seek God's plan. But notice in verse 6 through verse 8, we must trust in God's provision. The king said to me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. So then in verse 7, he asked the king for letters to be given to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come to Judah. He's going to travel through their lands and he has to have permission. You don't just go traipsing through with an army of men. You could be perceived to be invading. So he said, I need letters from the king so they'll know I'm on your business. They'll leave me alone and they'll convey me over. Verse 8, he said, I need some timber to build the gates. So, how about a letter, king? Please give me a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house and the wall of the city and to the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted unto me, according to the good hand of my God upon me, God's provision. Where God guides, he provides. Whatever God calls you to do, He will provide what you need to do it. Whatever He calls and desires for your family to be, He will provide the means to do it. Whatever God calls us as a church, whatever vision God gives us, whatever task God gives us as a church, He will provide what we need to accomplish it. He will provide the leaders. He will provide the organization, the personnel, the materials, the knowledge, the wisdom, the talents, the abilities, the gifts. Whatever ministry, whatever outreach, whatever work God calls us to do as a church, He will provide what we need and we will by faith step forward believing that God is able to do beyond what we can ask or think. Somebody ought to at least say amen one time right there. Why? Because God is a God who provides. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he describes the church as a body? And he says that he gave to the church, to this body, every part that could function to do what the body needed to do. That means that whatever God calls us to do, there is a member of this body that has the gifts and abilities necessary for us to accomplish what God has for us to do. We accomplish it by focusing, by trusting in in God's provision. So much could be said there, but let me show you the third thing in verse 10. We must focus on God's purpose. It has, look, this, this, these things have to be God's work in us. We can do all that we can, spinning our wheels and putting all the effort we can, but all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. All is vain unless we get God's plan. All is vain unless we have God's provision. All is vain unless we focus on God's purpose. What is God's purpose? Well, it's people. When Sanballat, verse 10, look at this, the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly. We'll hear more about these men as we go through the book. What what grieved them? It grieved them that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. This was not a matter of national pride for Nehemiah. It was not just about a city wall. It was not just about a house for himself. It was not just about the palace. This was about the people of God. He heard that they were in affliction. He heard that they were in need. And God, in seeking glory for himself, will care about people. For God so loved the world. That world is not this planet that we live on. It's the people that live on this planet. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God sent Jesus Christ to this earth. The message of the gospel is that God cares about the souls of people. God cares about the souls of people in Sampson and Harnett County. God cares even about the souls of people up in Raleigh, believe it or not. And God cares about the souls of people in London, England, where our students will go. And he cares about the souls in Africa, Brother Ray. And he cares about all the people of this world. And we need to be reminded of that, that it's not about buildings, it's not about programs, it's not about our efforts. Tonight, when people come across this campus, it's not about candy, and it's not about cars, and it's not about a season of the year. It is about the souls who will hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can come to trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And when you pray for your family... It ought not be about the pride and the heritage of your family. It ought not be about, well, I want my kids to turn out well. What will people think of me? It ought to be about your love and your concern for your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren and those in your extended family. Our hearts ought to show. God ought to be, They ought to be able to see. We must never forget what God cares about. As a church, our heart is for people. In sharing the gospel, we must never lose our compassion for the lost In our families, we must never let it be about our pride. People matter to God, and they ought to matter to us. Everything about us should tell people that we love God, and we love them, and God loves them. Focus on God's purpose. We have to have, God has to keep that fresh in our minds. It is very easy for us to forget in our current culture, when we grow so angry at those who disagree with us, I've said it before, sometimes we feel like we're on, a, we're in, on an invasion ministry rather than, a, than a, a, a rescue mission. We are here because those people are lost and on their way to hell. Yeah, but look at the weirdness, look at the, the, the deviancy that they're involved in. They are a soul for whom Christ died. And we need to be reminded of that. Sometimes we get so caught up in our self-righteousness that we forget that such were some of us. And except by the grace of God, every one of us would be such. Focus on God's purpose, but here's the most important one, and I'll close with this. We must experience God's power. Look at verse 8. The last half of the verse, the king granted me according to what? The good hand of my God upon me. If there's anything that I pray for, there's many things that I pray for. But I pray for myself and my Christian walk that the good hand of my God is upon me. I pray for my family that as a husband and a father, the good hand of my God is upon me. And I pray for us as a church that in all that we do, in our worship and our work and our witness, that the good hand of our God is upon us. Because without that, It is all pointless and it is all vain. It is all in our own strength. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, God said, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit saith the Lord... We're going to accomplish anything of value in this year to come. The works that we will be doing in all of the ministries and in all of the missions that we're involved, it must be done through the power of the Spirit of God upon us. That the good hand of our God is upon us. Look in verse 18, last part of the verse, or the first part. Then I told them of the good hand of my God, that the hand of my God which was good upon me. Nehemiah knew. That every step of the way from the moment he opened his mouth to the king and God answered his prayer from chapter 1 that this man would have mercy on Nehemiah. God answered that prayer. And it was God that put it into the king's heart to write those letters. And it was God that put it in those governors' hearts to receive those letters. And it was God himself that planted the trees that they would use from that forest to put into the walls and into the gates of the city. Everything that was happening in Nehemiah that was effective, everything that was of eternal value was the hand of his good God upon him. And everything that will happen in our lives that is of any value and any purpose and any success at all must be by the power of God and the work of the Spirit of God in us. If I'm going to walk with Christ as a Christian, it must be by the work of the Spirit in me. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. When I read the Scriptures, it's going to be the Spirit that enlightens me to the truth of them. When I spend time in prayer, it must be in the Spirit, praying in the Holy Ghost. When I'm growing in Christ, it is a work of the Spirit in me. When our families are thriving spiritually, it will not be because we're affected at having devotions or because we're great teachers or we're the perfect role models. It will be because the Spirit of God is at work in our families, and He is the one that is drawing them to Himself. And when our church is thriving and when the gospel is going forth and we are spiritually healthy and we are full-hearted, devoted followers of Christ. It will not be because of the pastors, and it will not be because of you. It will be because the Spirit and the power of God, the good hand of our God is upon us. So what do we do? We pray for it. We ask for it. I know that I have the fullness of the presence of the Holy Spirit in me already. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within But we pray for the fullness of his power upon us. He is always with us, but he is not always at full power because of the quenching and the grieving in our hearts. George MacDonald said, And whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. We cannot do it without him. What did Jesus say to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 when he said, Here's your mission, here's your burden, here's your task? He said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We are not prepared for the vision or even ready to be prepared until we have sought and received the power of the Spirit of God in what we do. Will you seek him? Are you praying, Lord, fill me with your spirit? Lord, fill me with your power, not so I'll feel a tingle up and down my spine, but so that I will be empowered for the task that he has given me. I need God, not just when I preach. I need the good hand of my God upon me every single day, every moment of every single day of my life, and so do you. And here's the blessed promise. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will knock and the door shall be For if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your heavenly Father... And we often use this to talk about prayer in general, and it's true about prayer in general, but Jesus was talking about something very specific. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him? Are you claiming that promise? Are you praying, God, fill me with your spirit, empower me? Lord, I need you today. I need you to be the dad. I need you to be the mom of this family. I need you to be the wife that I ought to be, to be the husband that I ought to be, to be the gospel proclaimer in my community that I ought to be, to serve in my church like I ought to, to be a follower of Christ, God. I cannot do it without your spirit. Our prayer ought to be the old song, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Why? Because look in verse 20. They asked him, Nehemiah, what are you doing? Then answered I them and said to them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. He will prosper us. When we have the power of the Spirit at work in us, when the good hand of our God is on us as a church, as families, as individual Christians. Our God will prosper what we are doing for his glory. Are you seeking for his power? Are you praying for it? Maybe this morning, maybe this morning you need to come and kneel at this altar, and maybe it's been a while since you just prayed and said, God, pour out your spirit on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh, fall anew, fall fresh on me. Fill me to raise my family, fill me to strengthen me in my marriage, fill me to reach out to lost loved ones, to proclaim the gospel around the world, fill me to take a stand for Christ, to be a witness on my workplace, fill me. If you ask, you will receive. Father, speak to us this morning. Burden our hearts, Lord, we desperately We desperately, desperately, desperately need you in our lives and in our families and in our church. I pray that we will be a people who will call out to you because all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name.